Welcome to Momentum Church. you guys have enjoyed this series, learning about the, the temple and the tabernacle and how everything about it points to Jesus fulfilling in a, in a way what was filling it to come, if that makes sense. I said that in the most confusing way. Everything to do with the temple is so very literal in what it is, but it's also representative of things to come. And uh, it's such a cool process to go through and to see where, where we can see where we uh, lie and, and are found in some of these things and where Christ is found. And it's really neat. And Brian, Pastor Brian did a great job two weeks ago taking us through the outer courts. Thank you so much. Uh, last week, Pastor Ross took us through the inner courts or the holy place. And today we're going to look at the holy of holies. And, uh, and you get me. So, no, really, no, Ross, a few weeks ago, he was like, we're going to talk about the Holy of Holies, and Corey, I really want you to do this one, because you are the holiest (laughs) person I've ever met in my life. (laughs) He started to cry. It was a beautiful moment. I said, I know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Here are the questions that I'd like to answer today um, concerning the Holy of Holies. Number one, what was it? Why was it? What was there, and what did that represent, and what does it mean for me here today? Are you guys with me on board today? Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, God, teach us this morning. God, speak through me in a way that I can't speak, Lord, in a way that people actually understand, Lord, and uh, Lord, and just touch our hearts this morning. Your name, amen, amen. Now, one thing that's going to have to happen this morning, you guys are going to have to help me out. What Ross says is the more you talk back, the faster he preaches, Right? See, this is a test. One of you got it right, yes. For me, the more you talk back, the less awkward it is. I, just, I get awkward, and then, and then I, I lean into it because I think it's funny. Like, I'm that guy who, like, stares at people in stores just to see what they do. That's not okay. That's not okay. But I do it. So anyway, <laughs> so, anyway so we're talking about the Holy of Holies. The first question, what was it? The Holy of Holies was the innermost room of the temple complex. You had the, 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 the gated off outer courts. Then you had inside there was a tent, and it was known as the, the tent of the testimony or the tent of meeting. And inside that tent was a small space known as the, whole, the, the inner courts, but also known as the holy place. Um, and then there was a very thick veil, and beyond that veil, there was a very small cubical room with no light inside it other than the light of the presence of God, and that was the Holy of Holies. And in that place uh, dwelt the Ark of the Covenant, which was physically where God would be. He would, he would come and physically be in that place on the mercy seat. We'll talk about that. But it also represented the, the presence of God. Anytime they would go marching around or they would go into battle, like they just go marching around. It's marching day. Anytime they go just marching around. Anytime they would go marching into battle, they would, they would take the Ark of the Covenant and it would lead the march and it would strike fear in the hearts of people around and, and lo and behold, they would win those battles because the presence of God was there with them, represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant housed things inside it. But that's what the, that's, that's what the, the, the place was. It was that innermost place that could only be visited once a year by one person. And when that person would visit, it was the high priest, when he would visit it, he would make atonement for the sins of the nation. We've been, we've been hearing a lot about atonement and sacrifices being made in 
the other courts as we walk through, but this was for the sins of the nation. Everybody in toto, right? Everybody's with me? Yeah, okay. So that's what it was. And in this place, God himself would inhabit for the purpose of speaking to Moses uh, and fulfilling that atonement of sins. So that's what it was. The next question is, why was it? And I'm, I'm, I, I apologize. I felt like I was really rushing through everything first service. And then I found out how long I actually went. And I was like, oh, no, I really need to get to business this service. So if I start, if I start going off topic and start talking about things, just, just point to my notes. I'll be like, I'll be, I'm sorry. We'll get back into it. But here we go. The Holy of Holies, why was it? The Holy of Holies came down, comes down to three things, I believe, personally. And the first thing that it comes down to is this, an expression of the fear of the Lord. And that's not typically what people talk about in the Holies of Holies, but I think this is very important. The physical presence and the voice of God struck fear into the heart of the Israelites in a way that shot them up straight like nothing else. And I guarantee you right now, if the Lord were to appear in a pillar and speak to Momentum Church, we would all be in little puddles. 100%. 100%. Exodus 20 says this. It says after, don't put it up just yet. i got to set it up. Like, ah, ah, fighting the guys in the back. It's... It's me and Chance. We're going to race. He'll win. You've met Chance. He'll win. Um, but, uh, but no, God had, had told Moses to call his people up to Mount Sinai to be spoken to. And he said, make sure they come close, but don't come on the mountain. They'll die. That happened a lot in God's presence back in the day. They will die. And so Moses brings them close. And they begin to sense everything. And they begin to sense his spirit. And they begin to hear the thunder. And this is what happens. It says now, in Exodus 20, 18, it says now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountains of smoke, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to, and, and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us because we're going to die. And Moses said to the people, which is funny, he said, on one hand, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may know sin. So we all got that right. Don't fear, so that you may fear and know sin. This is important. This is important. This may sound dichotomous, right? How can we say both of these things? Because it, it, it's the truth of this. We really have no fear in the presence of the Lord. We really don't. But the presence of the Lord will open our eyes to our sin. And of that, we should be afraid. There's things we hide. There's things we ignore. We can't do that in the presence of the Lord. And there's something to be said about a people who lose the fear of God. There's something to be said about a society and a generation that loses the fear of God. We can all understand that there is a healthy reverence to fear right? I understand that electricity is running all through this building, and I, I respect electricity, but I will expect, respect it way different once I put my finger in the light socket, right? Right? There's difference between knowing the presence and experiencing the presence, and understanding fear in a healthy way is a good thing. Let me elaborate. All three of my kids are now driving cars, Oh, yes, you know them. Jagger has his license. The twins have their permits. So at any time, at any day, 
you may come across one of my children driving a car, or worse, Jagger driving his brothers without me there. Thank you. Right? Yes. <laughs> now, how many of you, when you were learning to drive, your dad gave you this speech? No. This is a 2,000-pound killing machine. Come on, a few of us, yes, yes. This is a 2,000-pound death trap. I don't, are all cars 2,000 pounds? Like since the day of the buggy. They were like, you know, this horse is 2,000. There's something to be said about reverential fear and knowing where and where not that our feet should, should tread. And when we lose that fear, we run the risk of harming ourselves or allowing harm to come to ourselves. And that should be an innate, an innate understood thing. I mean, when I go down here to Arnold Mill Road, right, and sometimes the, the cones are left out in the middle of the road, and I'm like, oh, I should go grab those cones. My feet are very familiar with the parking lot. My feet are very familiar with grass. But I'm telling you, there's something within my emotions that when my foot touches the pavement of Arnold Mill Road, I say, better be quick. Because <laughs> it just, it doesn't feel right. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't feel right. And I'm fast and I'm hasty because a 2,000 pound death trap is coming my way. Proverbs 1.7 said this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So why not let's start there? Why not let's start there? Guys, we all run the risk of being the Israelites where we become so used to the presence of God, omnipresence of God, that we lose the fear of his actual presence in us touching him. And that's what was happening inside this Holy of Holies. It was such an awesome place. And people knew when the cloud ascended, descended onto that, onto that, that, that mercy seat that something incredible and special was going to happen. God was going to talk straight to Moses or, or, the, or the, the high priest was going to go in and make atonement, but it was something to be respected and it was something to be feared. Moving on. So the fear of the Lord. The next thing that it, that it was there for was the atonement of sin. We just talked about that. The practical purpose behind this place was atonement for the sins of Israel. Once a year, the high priest just one person, just one time a year, would spend a lot of time preparing, washing and cleaning, putting on special garments that had to be taken off as soon as he came back out. Just to go, go through all of these motions and have to do all of these things and have it all done just so. To forgive the sins of an entire nation for one year. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? Well, aren't you glad somebody else doesn't have to do that for us? It wouldn't have been me. I wouldn't have been the high priest. I mean, it's Ross's job. <laughs> the atonement of sins is why it was there. And another reason it was there for, to, to demonstrate pure worship. Pure worship. You don't get more vulnerable and you don't get more exposed than when you're right before the face of God. 
And luckily, they had incense that was so thick, it would cover, it would veil over the presence of God because they couldn't take it directly. It would kill them. But again, that's another thing that we need to look at. We need to understand the fear of the Lord. We need to understand where our atonement comes from. And we need to understand what pure and real worship is before God. And I hope we can get into that a little bit more. Pure worship. Pure worship is reverential. Pure worship is redeeming. Pure worship is raw and honest. And as the Bible tells us that pure worship is in spirit and in truth. And I understand the spirit side, and I dig the spirit side because I get into music. Do we have any other, like, really, where, like, like you get into music and it just moves you in your soul and it can take you to a place. How many of you can put on songs from the 80s and you're just like, yes, take me back to the public pool. There I am, <laughs> right? Oh, man, absolutely. Absolutely. There's songs that I put on when I'm in certain emotional states. When I want to be hype, I'll put on certain music. When I am sad or whatever, I'll put on certain music. And it just, it, it complements it so well. And, and, and my spirit, and I got to tell you something, guys. We have to be careful with that. Because it's not accidental. It's not accidental. The devil was the archangel of worship, the archangel of music, and he knows how to manipulate us. He didn't just put that powerful tool aside once he, you know, got thrown out of heaven. Oh, worship, I don't want to mess with that anymore. No, he has turned it and bent it toward himself. There's an entire screwed up industry behind bending worship away from God and onto ourselves or onto other things or other people. And that's idolatry. But spirit worship, I understand. I can, man, I can connect with worship. And I can get lost in worship. But it says the, the true worshiper worships in spirit and in truth. And that's where I'm like, oh, do I mean what I'm saying? Do I mean what I'm saying? Am I just, am I just singing the words that somebody wrote because they rhyme and they sound good? Or do I mean what I'm saying? Pure worship. We know where it, what it was and, and why it was. Now let's talk about what was there and what those things represented. Here we go. You ready for this? This is where it gets into the more academic side. You guys ready for this? Lord help you. Academics for me. So first, the first thing when it comes to the Holy of Holies, you can't have it without the high priest. And I did, I, do you guys like my high priest? He's okay, Right? Before we move on, I got to tell you something. Like, I searched for hours, like two hours, to find this image. You would think with today's AI technology and everything else, we would be able to have a better picture of the high priest. No. Can I, see it? Can I show you some of the other contenders? This is ridiculous. Are you ready for this? No. No. How about this next guy? Sassy hips. Sassy hips. No. How about this next one? I'm not a veggie tale. It's too childish. Right? Too childish. Again. Yeah. That's a garden gnome. <laughs> the high priest. And it don't even. So, yeah. <laughs> guy was angry. So now we can appreciate this guy, right? I'm a visual learner. That's how I am. I got I to gotta connect things to things. So that's, that's connected for you, right? The high priest. In Leviticus 16, we uh, read what the Lord is saying to Moses. And this comes after Aaron um, had just lost his two sons. Aaron was the high priest. And Aaron's sons had gone before the Lord with what they describe as um, 
unfamiliar fire. <laughs> Thank you. Unfamiliar fire. This fire was not the fire that was supposed to be brought in. It came from a different place. So they bring, bring this, this, this offering in that is unclean, that it's not what it's supposed to be, and both of those young men died. And so the Lord says to Moses, Leviticus 16, starting in chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, and he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people in the assembly. And this shall be a statute for you forever. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once a year, in the, once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So basically, you have it all hanging on this one guy. The only way to God, the only way to forgiveness, the only way to a new start is through this one guy. Let me say that again. The only way to forgiveness, the only way to a fresh start was through this one guy. Does that sound familiar at all to you? Yeah, in Hebrews 4, it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help and help in time of need. Guys, we need no intermediary anymore. We don't need that other person to go do all these things on our behalf because Christ has done the things. We don't need this person to go, you know what, I'll ask God to forgive you for you. Or, you know what, tell me your sins, and I'll tell you to pray this way or to do these things, and then you'll be forgiven. No, no, I go to God myself now. Why? Because he's here. He's here. And as awesome as this system was, I don't need a high priest anymore because I have Jesus. He is the high priest. So there was the high priest. Next, moving on. There was the scapegoat. Actually, there were two goats and a bull. And I'm, I apologize. That sounds like the beginning of a joke. <laughs> two goats and a bull go into the high. No, I'm just <laughs> One comes out. No. Two goats and a bull. The bull would be a, a blood offering. And one of the goats would be a blood offering. The, the high priest would actually cast lots. And one lot would come up as Azel, and the other one would come up the other. And so one would be... Uh, would, would, would be sacrificed. And check out what happens with the other goat. It's actually called the scapegoat, and that's where that whole thing comes from. It says this in Leviticus 16.20, And when he has made an end of atoning for, for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present a live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on his head, on the head of the live goat, Check this out. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions and all of their sins. And he shall put them all on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let that goat go free into the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? 
one that bore all of the sins, one that bore all of the iniquities, that was exiled outside of the city. You're going to see every single thing from the beginning to the end of the Holy of Holies points straight to Jesus. And it's not an accident. It's a fulfillment. And it's not just a history lesson. It's our hope. Are you guys with me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. The scapegoat. Next, we had the veil in Exodus 26, 31. It says this, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet of yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of Acadia, of Acacia, <laughs> of Acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate you from the holy place, from the most holy places. The veil shall separate you. It was a barrier. It was a very thick barrier. They say it was four inches thick. This isn't in the Bible, but scholars say that, that you, could, you could actually hook up teams of oxen to either side of it and pull, and it wouldn't be ripped. It was so thick and durable. No opening, from what I can tell. No opening. It was a barrier. It was a temporary wall, not a door. I want you to understand this part because this is, guys, we see the veil representing Christ because Christ says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets, no one gets to God except through the veil. Not around the veil, not under the veil. Through the veil. And again, this isn't written in the Bible, but you've got to imagine you've got this priest standing there with a, a blood offering in one hand and a, and a, and a large um, incense carrier in the other. And the incense had two full handfuls of incense in it that had been finely ground. He's standing there like that, and he's got this giant curtain in front of him. And by some miracle, God gets him through. I'm not going to say that he turned into the flash and started vibrating and walked right through. But I'm just saying God's involved, right? God's involved, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Christ hung on the cross, similar to how the veil hung. And at the moment of his death, the veil was torn. The way to the presence of God was open. This is what it says in Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielding up his spirit, 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's a big moment. That's a big moment. Why is that such a big moment? Because no longer do I have to go through a big curtain or really have somebody else go through a big curtain. It's open. The way to Christ, the way to God, the way to the atonement, the way to the, the presence of the Lord is all within me. It's all accessible. All of this matters. And again, we see the veil. And again, we see Jesus. The next thing is the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25 Starting in verse 10, it says this, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside shall you overlay it. 
You shall make it on the mold, on, you shall make it on a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. And the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. As I said, the ark represented the very presence of God taken into to battle. And, and the one thing we, we know about the ark, one thing is this, is that when it was mishandled, God did not respond kindly. He didn't respond kindly when you mishandled coming into his presence. And he didn't respond kindly when you mishandled that which carried the testimony. Now, the testimony is the Ten Commandments. Do you know what we're called these days? We are the testimony. We are the testimony. And if God does not take kindly to those that mistreat the testimony, how does he think about me if I do not take care of the testimony? And this is a big one. This, this is a hard one. This is the, the side of Christianity that nobody likes to talk about because it's exclusionary. But we all understand that, that this life we're experiencing right now is temporary. We all understand that our bodies are decaying in this room at this moment. Wow, gross. I don't know why I said it that way. Our bodies were meant for one thing, to fail. They will fail us physically in every kind of way. They're susceptible to, to disease, to brokenness, Stress affects it in ways. Certain sunlight affects it in ways. Not sleeping right. Everything you do is meant to make you die. I'm convinced. I was listening to a guy one time, and he was talking about how everybody in 1840 that ate beans has, is dead now. That's true. That's true. Guys, we, we have to be careful how we treat the testimony. We are, in a sense, the ark now. And without, 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 without the work of Jesus, we're hopeless. And the thing of it is, is, is we, we get really comfortable with not treating ourselves like the temple we are. We get really comfortable with not treating ourselves as the thing that houses and represents the presence of God. Why? Because we've lost the fear. We've lost the fear of the Lord. And I'm not saying you should walk around scared of God all the time. But as kindly as I can put this, there will come a day when we will have to answer for our lives. There will come a day when we have to answer for our lives. And someone recently said that Jesus didn't draw lines. He did. This was a big line he drew. Either I know you or I do not. And it's a clear line. Guys, people would touch the ark and fall dead. 
May we walk in such a way that we respect the temple of God inside of us and that which holds the testimony. Amen? Amen? Everybody with me? Oh, that got, that got heavy for a second. See, I had to do Indiana Jones. The mercy seat. Now we have the Ark of the Covenant, which is the box, and then we have the mercy seat, which is actually just the lid. And uh, it'll come up here in a second. Don't worry about it. Ha! Told you. So the mercy seat was actually the lid, and right between, right between these, these two angels is where the presence of God would be, and right between these two angels is where the blood offering would be, would be sprinkled. In Exodus 25, 17, it talks about the mercy seat. It says this, Ye shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another toward the mercy seat shall their faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony, the Ten Commandments, that I shall give you. There I will meet you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that the Lord, that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. To approach the mercy seat was a big deal. To approach the mercy seat was the job of one person on behalf of a bunch of people. But I'm pretty sure I just read somewhere back here in Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy, seat, throne of grace. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? That with confidence now we can act boldly, we can walk boldly to that place where Christ is, we can walk boldly to the place of atonement. I think I, I find that awesome. You guys can be like, well, whatever, Corey, but I think it's pretty cool. The mercy seat. Sacrifice goes on the mercy seat to atone. And again, we see pointing straight to Jesus with his sacrifice and his blood that was given for us. Man, so rich. Moving on, we see the manna and the Ten Commandments. They were actually set in front of, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the manna was a grain or bread. It depends on, well, I mean, the Bible says both, so I guess it depends on which scripture or which translation you're reading. But basically, it was the bread. It was bread that, that would not, and it, it, was, it was created and made to, like our bodies, to die, to mold and to go bad after just one day, right? You ever remember the story? Yeah? This manna that was with the Ark of the Covenant would never go bad. It was eternally good. It was, it was eternal, uh, everlasting bread, if you will. It was, it was bread that had an eternal life, if you will. It's bread of life. Are you getting it? Again, we see Jesus in all of this. And then the Ten Commandments, which was the testimony, the first ten that would become 613 laws of the Old Covenant. 613 laws of the Old Covenant. I, I, I hardly follow the speed limit. 613 laws. Sorry. All right, moving on. We have Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff. Now, what had happened is Aaron 
was the high priest, and his lineage, his people, were the Levites, and they were the the priests of the day. And because they were priests, they were allowed into the holy place and into these things that, that other people were not allowed, okay? And they got benefits from the sacrifices. They were actually able to take a portion of those sacrifices home and, and feed their family and do things. And, and there, were, there were some grumblings. There was some rebellion going on because people weren't happy. They wanted to have a bit of what was going on. And God saw what was going on, and God tells Moses, hey, round everybody up, and, and, and you get the leader of each, of each house, the leader of each tribe, and bring a staff. And this is where we pick it up, Aaron's staff in Numbers 17, verse 6. It says this, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all of their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief according to their father's houses, 12 staffs, and Aaron's staff was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. And on the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. And then Moses brought out all the staffs before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked, looked, and each man to his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebellious that you may, that they may know, mm, that they may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. It always, again, comes back to, thus did Moses, and the Lord commanded him so. So that staff represented the priesthood. That staff represented not just the priesthood, but God's miracle and God's favor upon the priesthood. And that staff would sit in the holy place with the presence of God. And what is so, so interesting about that staff and what it represents is the Bible is clear about who that priesthood is now. I've lost my place. <laughs> First Peter 2.9 says this, but you are chosen. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. We are represented in this incredible holy place by that staff. We are the priesthood now. We have that direct connection. I know I've said it like 12 times already, but I'm going to say it again. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the staff. Amen? Amen? Yeah. So what does all this mean for me today? What does all this mean for today? Pastor Corey, the tabernacle was like thousands of years ago. Why do I really even care? Well, yes, we no longer have to look at what was because what was is no more. And we get to live in what is, which is Jesus, and how he has fulfilled the requirement of what was. Who's on first, right? It kind of, it matters because all of it, all of it, the presence of God is no longer found there. It's found here. And that's what all of this is about. All these, these past weeks of teaching, it's great history. I, I love history. And it's great to learn this stuff. But if we don't make the connections, we've missed the whole point. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's a whole lot of people who are like, oh, the God of the Old Testament isn't the God of the New Testament. He changed it. No, he doesn't change. He fulfills. He fulfills. 
And every step of this is fulfillment. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? We are now that holy place. We are now the place that we get to go to. We get to stay home. No, not like that. But <laughs> I see you online. But, <laughs> but that's us now. It's all done. We don't have to go through the process. The process has been completed in perpetuity. Perpetuity. That's a great word that I want to never say again. It's done forever. It's done forever. Every single part of it has been done now for us forever. Let's go back. The high priest, Jesus. The sacrifice blood offering, Jesus. The scapegoat taking our sin, Jesus. The veil we have to go through, Jesus. The staff of the priesthood, Jesus. Gives it to us. The everlasting bread, the manna, Jesus. The old covenant now made new in Jesus. The mercy seat, what happened there? God came to earth to be with his people. Everybody say it together. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Ross has drawn the connection to the three areas of the tabernacle in our three states of being, the body, the mind, and the soul, going outward, inward. And something that strikes me about that is this. The body, I can wash, and I can exercise, and I can perfume, and I can dress it. Did you notice my new haircut? Thank you. <laughs> New friend. <laughs> yeah. The mind, I can discipline. I can discipline my mind. I can. I can do it. Not very well, but I can discipline my mind. My spirit, the Bible connects the spirit and the heart so often, and the heart, the Bible says directly, is hopeless. Without Christ, there's nothing I can do. I can do nothing to purify my spirit. We see throughout this process people doing things, sacrificing for atonement, people cleaning and dressing and working and milling and intending and all of these things. Guys, we can't clean ourselves enough. We can't give to goodwill enough. We can't donate enough boxes of clothes. We can't mow a church lawn large enough. We can't volunteer at the response gala or give money. We, there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves in our spirit. We need Jesus. And because of him, we have access anytime we want. Anytime we want. But the problem is this. We lose the fear. We lose the fear. We don't have the benefit. As, 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 as grateful as I am that we don't have to do the tabernacle stuff anymore. I kind of wish I had a pillar sometimes. I kind of wish I had massive flames at night. I kind of wish that I could go through a curtain and be in the very presence of God because something about the seeing and the feeling and the hearing will straighten me up really quickly. 
Sometimes I wish we had that. But what we have, listen, people, and know this, is so much better. It is so much richer. It is so much deeper. It is so much more accessible. But it comes, it comes with the balancing act of free will. It comes with the balancing act of losing the fear of God. I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear it out of love. Nothing will keep you out of heaven quicker than losing the fear of God. Nothing will keep you out of heaven quicker than losing the fear of God. Because for the most of us, when we sin, we do it in the secret place. We do it when nobody can see. We do it when nobody can hear. It may just be thoughts in our mind. Dave, David, when he was praying, he asked the Lord, please know my anxious thoughts. Those thoughts that come in and invade. We can understand the temple. We can acknowledge that it all points to Jesus. But unless we accept that as our own, unless we accept that priesthood, unless we accept the invitation, it's all for nothing. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and you've never, you've never made the decision, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been around church for years, maybe you've just had Christian friends and now you're a part of Momentum and, and you agree with everything, but you've never actually really made the decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be Christ-like. I'm going to be the priest and the testimony. I want you to know you have that opportunity right now. If you're here and you've never made that decision, what's stopping you? Also, there's times of renewal. There's times when, when things get lax and we need to renew our diet, right? We need to renew our exercise. We need to renew our savings, right? How many of you are like, oh, I'm going to put away this much money a year. And you're like, oh, let me renew that commitment. <laughs> let me re renew that commitment. There, there comes times where we realize we are falling short of the intention, right? And the Bible spells that out as saying falling short of the glory of God. There's times when we realize we've fallen short. And in those moments, we don't need an intermediary. We don't need a thick curtain. We don't need a special room to go to. The Holy of Holies is right here. Bow your heads with me, if you will. If you're here this morning, and you simply want to say, Corey, I see Jesus. And I need to be a part of what he's doing. It's time to make that decision. It's time to make that confession of faith. If you're here this morning, and that's you, I just want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I see you. And Lord, I want to be where you are. Lord, teach me what it is to seek after you. God, teach me what it is to find fear in your presence, 
because I've fallen short. And God, may you grant me freedom with the atonement that you have brought. God, we worship you, we trust you, and we give you all the glory in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.